Hear the word of the Lord from Romans 15. Paul writes this. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, praise the Lord, excuse me, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. In church, this is the word of the Lord. Awesome, thanks. You can grab a seat. Well, this morning we are continuing our time uh, moving through the book of Romans. If you uh, are new this morning or you haven't been with us in a while, we've been taking our time through this long letter of Paul uh, in the New Testament, and we get this morning to Romans 15. Now, uh, as we continue this, uh, this week is really kind of the third part of an extended section within the letter. Uh, Chapter 14, verse 1, which Kevin taught uh, two weeks ago, all the way through chapter 15, verse 7, they're, they're kind of a single unit. So in chapter 14, verse 1, if, if you look at it, Paul says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. And then in our passage, in chapter 15, verse 1, he says, bear with the weak. And then in verse 7, he says, welcome one another, just as Christ has welcomed you. So the command to welcome one another, to show hospitality, in order to build community, that command bookends this whole section, 14.1 to kind of 15.7-ish. Now last week, we saw Paul address, actually really the last two weeks, address a conflict that was taking place in the Roman church. And, and the way that people kind of have reconstructed the scene, we had Jewish Christians uh, who are maintaining kosher diets, kosher restrictions, and then other Christians in Rome, probably Gentiles, you know, with a few Jews like Paul thrown in, and there's a bit of conflict between them. And so Paul tells the Gentiles who eat meat, he says, you know, to have the Jewish believers over for dinner, but not to quarrel with them over what they're allowed to eat. He made it clear that in our welcoming, remember the command, in our welcoming, we are to check our attitudes and our actions. We're not to feign hospitality and then condemn or despise each other in our hearts. No, no, no. We're to pursue fellowship, 
but we're not supposed to flaunt our liberty in each other's faces when we do. Now, as we get to chapter 15, we're kind of moving out of the, the specifics of that kind of meal conflict, uh, and Paul is wrapping up his instructions on it, and he gets to the bigger principle, the more important issue at hand, which is unity, or as you see on the screen, harmony. And so we have kind of in the middle of the passage, it says, may God grant you to live in such harmony. That's his, his desire, his hope for the Roman church and for us. Now, to understand what Paul is going to say this morning, I think we need to start our teaching uh, or our time in God's word with some singing, if you don't mind. So uh, I'm going to ask that together we sing the doxology. If you know that one, praise God from whom all blessings flow. I'm going to ask you, if you don't mind, to sing it out loud because we need to hear each other to get this. And most importantly, if you know a part, if you know a harmony, please sing it out. So I want, I want us to hear each other sing, and hopefully we'll get a sense of what Paul's going to talk about. But we can sing together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him I'm going to transition to this mic. Here's our main point this morning. When we leave today, I want us to get this. I want us to understand that Christian harmony glorifies God. So if you're someone who's like, I just need, I need to remember one thing. If, you, if that's all you get, if you forget everything else I say, but you remember that, that's the main point this morning. Christian harmony glorifies God. Now, the key verses where we get this in our passage are verses 5 to 7. If you have your Bible open, you can look at them. In 5 and 6, Paul writes this, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christian harmony glorifies God. But then Paul follows up with a clear command in verse 7. He says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And and kind of those three parts we're going to use to make up our outline this morning. So Paul says, welcome one another. And so we're going to look at the demands of harmony. That there's a way to pursue it. It calls us to something. Then Paul says, as Christ has welcomed you. So we'll look at the fuel of harmony, how we, how we can get it. And then Paul says, for the glory of God. So we'll look at the sound of harmony. That's our outline. The demands of harmony, the fuel of harmony, and the sound of harmony. And when we get a hold of these, hopefully, uh, we'll leave here knowing that Christian harmony glorifies God. And together we will pursue Christian harmony that glorifies God. So let's dive into our first point, the demands, oops, wrong way, the demands of harmony. Paul commands us to welcome one another in verse 7, but as I said, he's, he's really following up on what he has been teaching now, what we've seen for two weeks since the beginning of chapter 14. Paul assumes that there are very different groups of people in the church. In Rome, it's, it's Jews and Gentiles. There's very different groups of people that they, he's assuming that they actually are sharing meals together, number one that they're in each other's people, in each other's homes. 
So this is more than just, you know, passively accepting the presence of someone across the room from you, tolerating the fact that they're in the same room as you. No, 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 this is active. That they're initiating, you know, fellowship and contact with one another. You know, for us, we need to remember, we are called to reach out to one another in hospitality, to welcome each other. I think that means, you know, into each other's homes or a bare minimum, you know, to grab a burrito at Chipotle or something. It's active. We're supposed to reach out. Because we are a collection of very different brothers and sisters in Christ, Paul says, have each other over for dinner. Get to know one another. Get close to each other. Yes, I think welcome, when Paul says welcome one another, I think that means making sure that our corporate gatherings feel like welcome places, but it's more than that. Paul calls us to bear with each other's failings, to please our neighbors, to build them up. And this means we have to get close enough in proximity to one another for something like that to happen, for us to encounter each other's failings. And so right out of the gate, I just want to put kind of a, a bug in your ear to consider this call to welcome, this call to hospitality. Let me ask, when did you last have someone in your home in order to love them with the love of Christ? Just think about that. When was the last time you went out and shared a meal with someone to love them with the love of Christ? Christian harmony, it's not seen in our list of volunteers on Planning Center, as much as I love that list. It's lived when we spend enough time together that we experience firsthand each other's failings. And so Paul says in verse 1, he says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now, some translations like the NIV says the weaknesses of the weak, that word failings or weaknesses, um, it's, it's actually a different root word than the weak person. But what it means is the instances of weakness. So it's, it's, it's very grounded and has in mind real life. We don't just need to bear with each other's weaknesses in the abstract, you know, as an idea. No, we need to bear with each other's weaknesses when we experience them, when we suffer from them when they get acted out in front of us or done to us. I don't just need you to bear with my sinfulness, you know, generally speaking. I need you to bear with my sin and put up with me when I sin against you. That's what Paul's talking about. Now, it's so easy, at least for me, maybe for you as well, to read passages like this, to hear sermons like Kevin's the last two weeks, which are so good, and, and to think, you know who needs to hear this? That guy over there across the room? Man, does he need to hear what Paul is saying. He needs to get his act together. It's easy to think when we hear stuff like this how others should be self-sacrificial towards us. How they need to work harder to please, well, me. But that's not how harmony works. Maybe for those of us in the room who are, are married, you know this. In marriage, the couple is called to harmony. They're called to, to, to be united. They're called to be self-sacrificial towards one another. But that only works if each person attends to their own self-sacrifice. The minute one person, well, demands sacrifice of the other, well, then the harmony and the marriage bond begin to break down. Keeping score, trying to make sure everything is fair and 50-50, it doesn't work. But if both people seek not to please themselves, but sacrifice for the other in order to build them up, well, then you get a vibrant, loving, joyful relationship. And the same is true in the church, in our fellowship. 
Now, Paul goes on to say that we should not please ourselves, but please our neighbor for his or her good in order to build them up. So we can see now, beginning to see, the demands of harmony. Bear with the failings of the weak. Do not please ourselves. Please our neighbors to build them up. Welcome one another. These, this is, these are the demands. This is the calling of harmony. Paul is describing a self-sacrificial love that receives and blesses others. He says that Christian harmony demands Christ-like sacrificial love for others. You want to know what it will take to have Christian harmony that glorifies God? Well, you need to serve each other like Jesus. Or to put it differently, Christian harmony demands conformity to Christ. We need to become more and more like him. Now get this, you don't get harmony by focusing all of your attention on harmony. So our society is full of, of little groups, little clusters, little communities that have some semblance of harmony, but they're all built around something. Rarely are they built around the idea of unity for unity's sake or harmony for harmony's sake. No, the unity or the harmony, it's the bond created by the thing at the center of that group. You know, whatever it is that draws them together and holds them together. So the center uh, of an athletic team, it's the sport that they're playing. Maybe the goal of the championship. The center of a book club, you know, it's, it's reading or it's literature. The center of your friend groups, well, that might be, you know, your kids or it might be some shared history you have from high school or college or, or work or a shared interest. But there's always a center, something that draws you together and holds you together. Well, in church life, in community, the center is Christ. Or to put it in the terms of our, our song metaphor, to have harmony in a song, you need a center. The thing that each part is derived from and in reference to, and in music, that's called the melody. You need to have a melodic line that everything else can build off of and be in reference to. If everyone is just trying to sing their own line and only cares about, you know, how they sound in their ears, you most likely not get harmony. You'll get what's called cacophony. It's noise. So maybe you notice our, our worship teams often, they put these little things in their ear, their in-ear monitors, so they can hear each other and hear the music and make sure that they are, well, they're, they're keeping to whatever the center is, the melodic line, the, the key that they're in. And sometimes if you take those out and you can't hear, you hear someone you know, get a little pitchy, as they used to say on American Idol. Not here, of course, other places uh, that happens. But when you all link up to the central melody, when you, when you connect to that, well, then you better serve each other and you come together united in song and harmony. And as I think, as we maybe heard just a minute ago, it's really cool when it happens. Christ is our melody. He's the melodic line. When we live in reference to him and we follow him into self-sacrifice for others, Harmony will result. So in verse 5, Paul prays for a harmony with one another. He says, in accord with Christ Jesus. Now, a literal translation could be, uh, may God give you, instead of harmony, such harmony, it could be, may God give you the same thinking with one another in accord with Christ. So to go all the way back to chapter 12, as we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, as our ways of thinking come in line with those of Christ, and as I get more and more aligned with Christ, and you get more and more aligned with Christ, well, then we will be more and more aligned with each other. 
You see that? The center is Jesus. The, the, the more we work hard to get lined up with him, the more we all will become aligned with each other. We'll experience harmony. Christian harmony demands Christ-like sacrificial love for others that is bound to Christ as our melody. Christian harmony glorifies God. But the Christian harmony that glorifies God, as we'll see next, requires fuel. So let's look at the fuel of harmony. Let me say something really depressing, and then I'll follow it up with something amazing. Okay? First, the depressing part. You and I do not have within ourselves the resources to achieve the kind of harmony that glorifies God. We don't, we don't have it within ourselves to, to love each other deeply enough to, to create harmony that glorifies God. We don't. And if we did, well, then we would get the glory and not God. But here's the amazing part. God is a God who gives what he commands. These demands are tough, and so Paul says we need fuel to live this out. We need to be filled in order to pour out like this. And according to Paul, we worship a God who fills, who delights to give us what he commands. Paul says, you know, to live in such harmony that we glorify God, and to do that, we need, well, endurance, encouragement, joy, peace, and hope that flow from the gospel. See if you can follow Paul's logic with me. Verse 5, Paul tells us that God is the God of endurance and encouragement, and he prays that this God would grant us to live this way, that he would give us this life, that the God of endurance and encouragement would give us this life. Verse 13, Paul prays that the God of hope, it's the same God, by the way, if you're confused, that the God of hope would fill us that we may abound in hope. We need to be given something. We need to be filled. Well, how does God give and fill? Paul says through the scriptures. Look at verse 4. Talking about the Old Testament, he says, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through the endurance and through the encouragement found in the scriptures, we might have hope. The God of endurance and encouragement and hope gives us those things through the scriptures, we're told. So God grants us to live this way. God fills us with endurance, encouragement, and hope through the scriptures. And here's the final part, which tell us about Jesus and the gospel. So verse 3, Paul quotes the scriptures. He quotes Psalm 69, and he says, this is about Jesus. It's written hundreds of years before, but it's about Jesus. In the latter half of the passage, he has four Old Testament quotations from 2 Samuel 22, Deuteronomy 32, Psalm 117, and Isaiah 11. And he quotes these Old Testament passages to say that the Roman church, the Romans, they're participating in the big gospel story of God. They're a part of something so much bigger than themselves called the gospel. Have you followed Paul's argument? The gospel found in the scriptures is what God uses to fill us by the power of the Holy Spirit as the fuel for our harmony. Let's look how Paul uses Psalm 69 specifically to give us encouragement and hope, to fuel us. Paul quotes Psalm 69. He says, The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And he says, This is about Christ. This word written by the psalmist is actually about Jesus. Now, if you go back and read the psalm, it's all about how the author has been abandoned and rejected by everyone, including his relatives and other Jews, because of his zeal for God. And so the psalmist says, those that hate God want to reproach God, therefore they reproach me. And Paul says, 
Well, Jesus went through that very thing to welcome you, to bring you close. That's what Jesus went through. I mean, if you remember reading the Gospels, Christ's sacrificial others-oriented ministry, it drew the ire and the reproach of many of the religious leaders of his own family. It culminates in the cross where crowds are sneering at him, jeering, reproaching him as he's dying for them. So Paul points to this word. He says, let Christ's sacrifice, attested to in Psalm 69 in the scriptures, let that give you endurance and encouragement as you pursue similar self-sacrifice. So let's think about the Roman context. First century, Jews and Gentiles. As they seek harmony with one another, they, they begin sharing meals together. They likely drew the reproach of the respective communities that they came from. Gentiles sneering at their Gentile friends saying, how dare you hang out with those dirty Jews? The Jewish people, you know, coming from their communities, as, as they hang out with Gentiles, they're saying, you're going to hang out with Gentile dogs? The filthiest unclean? No way. How dare you? Their communities would be reproaching them because they're loving and seeking out harmony with one another. And Paul says to them, hey, 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 be encouraged. Jesus went before you and endured the same for you. Read about it in the scriptures. Be encouraged and have hope that Christ did this for you first. For us today, when we welcome each other, we may bear the reproaches of those close to us. So let me take it out of this room, imaginary, hypothetical. We could imagine two Christians, okay? They pull into the parking lot out here. One drives up, you know, in a Prius with a faded Bernie sticker slapped on the bumper, And then next to him pulls in a lifted truck with big knobby tires and a sticker that says gun lovers for Trump. And they pull in and park next to each other and hop out of their cars and they walk into this room. And when those two walk in and pursue genuine fellowship with one another and they bear with each other's failings because of Christ, it's going to cause some questions among those of their own political tribe, you know, when when they leave and with their friends. They're going to wonder, how can you worship with him or her? How can you do that? And and for them to come in and do that and worship and love each other and bear with each other's failings, they will need the fuel of the gospel to keep going. For us, you may bear the reproaches of your friends or your family for loving and caring for those that sit on the other side from you on some issues that your friends or family are passionate about. When we talked about it last week, Kevin teased out all the potential hot-button things that we could fight over that could, that could disrupt our fellowship, our sharing of meals. We could think about all of the he- areas of heated disagreement that we've gone through the last three years. And the question is, are you willing to bear with the failings of the one who your friends think is a judgmental bigot? Are you willing to bear with the failings of someone who your family looks down on as a loony? You need fuel, gospel fuel for that kind of love, to continue to love that person while bearing the reproaches of your respective community. Paul says to be filled by the gospel found in the scriptures, you can live this out. You need fuel for that kind of love. So in verse 7, he says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And yes, we can read that as an example, that to follow Christ in welcoming others or, or welcome just as Christ welcomed you. But I think it's, it's even more than an example. It's a ground for action. It's fuel for the task. Welcome one another because Christ has welcomed you. 
Welcome one another because Christ has welcomed you. Paul grounds our efforts in the gospel. We are fueled by feeding on, being filled by what Christ has done for us. Now think again about Psalm 69. Jesus didn't just suffer the reproaches you know, of others because he was loving us. No, he suffered the reproaches of the very ones he was dying for. He suffered the reproaches of, of the very ones that he was seeking to love and welcome. He was bearing the reproaches of us. It was our sin that put him in that position, that sneered at him. Psalm 69, it's quoted at least seven times in the New Testament with reference to Jesus. The early church knew Psalm 69 was a, a messianic psalm. It's about what Jesus would do for us. So if we read more of the psalm, I mean, you can read the psalmist prays. He says, but as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies. Let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. But then you keep reading. You get to verse 21 and he says, they gave me poison for food. And for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. And the gospel writers quote Psalm 69 saying, this fulfills the scripture when Jesus is on the cross and they give him sour wine. They try to give him wine mixed with gall to, to ease his pain. Get this. Christ prayed before he went to the cross. He said, Lord, save me from this hour. He prayed this prayer. He prayed, deliver me. And yet he wasn't. No, he took all of this for us, to welcome us. He was sunk into the mire. The flood swept over him. The deep swallowed him. The pit closed its mouth over him that we might experience the deliverance that he cried out for. That we might receive his abundant mercy. He took poison for food and sour wine to drink that we may eat bread and wine at his table. He did this. He lived this to welcome us. And when that settles into our hearts, we can be filled well, with encouragement and hope that overcomes our selfishness, our bitterness, our wounds, our laziness, and it can fuel our efforts at self-sacrifice leading to harmony. The gospel is the fuel that God fills us with by the power of the Holy Spirit, to go after this harmony. Christian harmony glorifies God, so we've seen the demands of harmony, the fuel of harmony, and lastly, the sound of our harmony. It is only harmony that is fueled by the gospel that glorifies God. And I said it before, but it bears repeating. If we had the resources within ourselves to achieve harmony, we would get the glory and not God. God is glorified when we live out a harmony that is only possible through him because it means that he's doing something in us. And when we fulfill the demands Paul calls us to, filled by the fuel of the gospel, well, then God will get the glory. So there's a, a pastor named Jamie Dunlop lives out in the D.C. area. And he wrote a little book, a great little book called The Compelling Community. It's all about kind of the church that, that lives such a life that the world finds it compelling. 
And in, in his little book, he distinguishes between what he calls gospel plus community and gospel revealing community. He says in gospel plus community, you have real Christian friendships. They're, they're real Christian friendships, that, but they, they might have existed even without Jesus. So we could think of, you know, clubs like the Christian surfers, or the Christian quilters, or the Christian reptile owners. Um, and these can be great places of, of real encouragement and edification, but they don't necessarily show off the gospel because they don't need the power of the gospel to exist. These people might be friends with each other even without Jesus. But, he writes, in what he calls gospel-revealing community, many relationships would never exist but for the truth and power of the gospel either because of the depth of care for each other or because two people in relationship have little in common but Christ. And so this community reveals the power of the gospel. And church, that's what we're after. Harmony that is of such a quality that it shows off the power of God. It gives God glory because people look at our, our harmony, our union, and they say, how could that happen? But for the power of God but for the work of Christ in their lives, among them. So in verses 8 to 13, Paul says something profound. I mean, it just looks like a string of Old Testament quotations. Sometimes my eyes glaze over. But, but when we think about it, it's amazing. He says that Christ came to fulfill God's promises to the Jews, but that those promises included the fact that one day Gentiles would be brought in, that they would glorify God for his mercy. And so verse 10 says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. God promised that the Gentiles would join the song with God's people. So as you think about first century Rome, the harmony of Jew and Gentile in the Roman church was the fulfillment of promises made by God to Moses and David and Isaiah. They were a part of a long story that God has been unfolding through history. And their harmony, to use the words, of Paul, showed off God's truthfulness. It brought God's glory. And that's no less true for us. When we pursue harmony, we are participating in God's big story, in God's big redemption plan that's been unfolding ever since Genesis 3. When we love each other, when we bear with each other's failings, when we seek hospitality and welcome, and we overcome human boundaries, well, then we lift our collective voice to glorify God. We participate in God's unfolding plan of redemption that stretches from the garden to the new Jerusalem. So on the one hand, you are a part of something so much bigger than the failings of your neighbor that you're called to love. You're part of a huge story. And this story can fuel your efforts at harmony. But on the other hand, when we live in harmony, we step into and we show off God's glorious unfolding plan. So in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says that God's intent for our harmony was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Well, it's a lot of words. What is he saying? The purpose of our harmony was to show off God's wisdom and glory to angels and to principalities, and rulers, and authorities in this world. When we love each other, the angels take notice and say, whoa, what is God doing? So again, Jamie Dunlop, in his book, he writes this. He says, consider a group of Jews and Gentiles who share nothing in common, 
except for a centuries-old loathing for one another. He goes on, or he makes it modern, the disdain that the Pradeshad fashionista feels for the Schlitz-swilling NASCAR crowd multiplied many times over. I mean, if we want to make it more personal to us, we could think about the loathing between left and right, or Dodgers and Astro fans, or, you know, Apple and Android users, okay? Nothing in common. More seriously, I thought that might get a laugh, but no, that's cool. Um, more seriously, we could think of two neighbors living on the same street, one flying the BLM flag, the other a thin blue line flag. He writes this, bring them together into the local church where they rub shoulders on a regular basis and things explode, right? No. No, because of the one thing they do have in common, the bond of Christ, they live together in astonishing love and unity. Unity that is so unexpected, so contrary to how our world operates that even the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms sit up and take notice. God's plans are amazing, aren't they? That's what's being held out to us. That kind of community, that kind of harmony. We are to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. So again, verses 5 and 6, Paul says, May God grant you to live in such harmony that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our harmony should be of such a quality that it glorifies God. But look closer at verse 6. The ESV reads, So that together we may with one voice. If you have the NIV, it says that with one mind and one voice. The word literally is with the same desire or the same passion with one voice, you can glorify God. So one New Testament scholar, Robert Gundry, says that with mutual fervor, you may be glorifying God with one mouth. I love that. Our, our harmony should be filled with a, a fervor, a, a passion, a fire to bring God glory. The sound of our harmony should not be our effort. What resounds from the sacrificial love should not be how great we are. The sound that emanates from our mutual love should be the glory of God. But don't miss this. God's glory and our joy are inseparable. Inseparable. When Paul quotes the Old Testament, he says glorifying God means joy for the Gentiles. Look at verse 10. Rejoice. O Gentiles, with his people. And then Paul prays in verse 13 that the God of hope would fill us with all joy and peace in believing. Harmony that, is God, that glorifies God is joy-inducing for us. Now, this is about more than just joining in an epic worship session, although that would be joyous. Yes, there's a unique joy to rejoicing together in the same thing. There's joy in sharing joy, especially joy in the gospel but there's also joy found in sacrificial love that glorifies God. So I love what John Piper writes. He says, when we practice hospitality, we experience the thrill of feeling God's power conquer our fears and our stinginess and all the psychological gravity of our self-centeredness. And there are few joys, if any, greater than the joy of experiencing the liberating power of God's hospitality, making us a new and radically different kind of people who love to reflect the glory of his grace as we extend it to others in all kinds of hospitality. Do you see what he's saying? When we, when we live out this harmony and we, we look into our lives and we say, 
that wouldn't be possible without God's work. Look at what Christ is doing. We will rejoice that we are witnesses to God and his activity in our lives and in our midst and in our community. It glorifies God, but joy follows. The harmony that flows from the fuel of the gospel is one that is infused with joy over God's work in our lives, with what he's doing. So our harmony, well, it's like a song to God. It's like many voices coming together as one to sing with fervor and joy praises to our God. The sound of harmony is God's glory and our joy. That's what it sounds like. All right. Main point this morning. Christian harmony glorifies God. The demands are tough. Self-sacrificial love requires gospel fuel to fill us with endurance, encouragement, and hope. But if we build our harmony on the melody of Christ, we can't help but to bust out in joyous song to the glory of God. And so I wonder, can we end where we began and sing together uh, the doxology?